This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I want you to think back to what you would call the ride of a lifetime. Some ride you took that forever changed your life. I've had a number of those, but without a doubt, the, the greatest one I ever had took place on December 19, 1991. I had just moved to Honolulu. Uh, I'd been there a total of four months. I was leading a church in Honolulu, and I realized if I was going to be able to actually reach and pastor these people, I had to get into their world, and they were all into water sports, and there was a nice little beach around the corner from my house, and I decided on that Thursday morning that I was going to teach myself how to surf. I didn't have a surfboard, but I I figured I could body surf. So I went to this little beach and I watched the locals and I saw what they all did. And they, they all paddled out to a certain area and then they looked behind them and waited for a nice big wave. And then they started swimming toward shore as fast as they could swim. And if they timed it right, they could get on the front of the wave and they could ride the wave. So that's what I did. After about 20 minutes of observation, I swam out to where a bunch of the locals were and I turned my face toward the shore and looked over my shoulder and here came a big wave and I embarked on the ride of a lifetime. It was absolutely awesome. I swam as fast as I could and all of a sudden I felt myself getting picked up and I started to fly. And I mean, I was flying as fast as the wave was going I was on the front side of the wave. I thought, lucky me, my first attempt to ride a wave, and I actually rode it. It was the ride of a lifetime until it wasn't. And all of a sudden, there was this massive impact. And it sounded like someone had fired a a very high-powered rifle. And my body was racked with pain. And sort of that pain you get when you hit your crazy bone, it went through my body for about eight seconds. And I got sucked out to sea. And that was a prelude to another ride of a lifetime in an ambulance, to a hospital, to learn that I had fractured my neck in four places. Now, God was gracious. He was good to me. When the doctor looked at the MRI, he said, I have no idea how you, how you survived that. And the fact that you're not paralyzed is beyond anyone's explanation. And then I'll never forget what the doctor said. You must have somebody on your side. We're going to sing in a little bit. We're going to sing a phrase over and over and over again. And that phrase is, God is for you. And no matter what, terrible thing you've encountered in life. God is for you. There's a story in the Bible about a guy who jumped in his chariot one day and he little did he know he was embarking on the ride of a lifetime. Let's take a look at that story from Scripture. It begins like this. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, by the way, this had had to make no sense to Philip. Philip was leaving a thriving ministry in the town of Samaria, 
where literally thousands of people were coming to Christ. And the angel says, I want you to go down on this desert road where no one lives. So he started out and he met the treasurer of an Ethiopian of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, there's a lot in that sentence. Okay, this guy is the treasurer of the queen. Does that sound good or bad? That sounds good, right? Until you understand that treasurers were people, number one, to be the treasurer of the queen, you had to be castrated. That's a hard sell for a job interview. <laughs> Not only that, you're buried back in the back of the palace and you're counting money and you're distributing money, no one ever sees you. So now you're a eunuch. You will never get married. And the reason they did that is they wanted to make sure no one ever messed with the queen. So any guy that was going to be around the queen, well, they took care of that. He's buried in the back of the palace. He's counting money. He'll never get married. He'll never have children. And he'll never what he thinks, have any great influence. Reading on. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Jews. I don't know what was behind that, but the Ethiopians had lots of gods. And this guy had figured out, I don't want any of them. I don't like the culture this God creates in our country. But I heard about this God of the Jews. And he's so different. And as the story goes on, and he was returning, seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the, the carriage. And Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him a very important question. Do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? This guy has no background in being a Jew. He, he is a converted Jew with none of his ancestors are Jews. He didn't grow up in Jewish culture. He doesn't really know anything about Jewish scripture as far as we know. He's just reading and hoping that somehow the light comes on. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, there's tons in that that I'm not going to get into today. But I want you, if you can, to put yourself in this Ethiopian's shoes. He knows nothing of a promised Messiah. He knows nothing of Jesus. He knows nothing of Christianity. He's just picked up a book and started reading. And it says this guy was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is not the PG version. 
right? He slaughtered. Yeah. And as a lamb is silent before his shears, this guy, some for some reason, doesn't even open his mouth in his own defense. And then look what happens. He was humiliated. And he was not given justice. So here's a guy who's killed. And yet, the prophet asks, who can speak of his descendants? Here's a guy who's killed before his time. And yet, you would think this guy would have no descendants. This guy would have no real influence. No lasting legacy. Little does he know the prophet is actually writing about whom? He's writing about Jesus. If you look at the legacy of Jesus, did you know some four billion people on planet Earth claim to be followers of Jesus 2,000 years later? Yeah, who can speak of his descendants? It's amazing. For his life was taken from the earth. Now let's read the rest of the story. So the Ethiopian asked Philip, hey, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. I just want that to sink in. He didn't just tell him the story of Jesus. What did he tell him? The good news. Because the story of Jesus is good news. We know that for many reasons. But I, I want to take us back to Christmas Day when Jesus is born. And the angels say to the shepherd, I bring you glad tidings of what? Great joy, which will be for all people. That's good news. Now notice what happens. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Does that seem like out of left field? Unless you know what the good news of Jesus entails, that makes no sense. Here, we're talking about Jesus, this guy who gave his life so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. He's the promised Messiah. He's the one who's going to set things right on this earth. And the guy goes, hey, I have a question. There's some water. Would you go dip me? Huh, what would prompt that question? Well, here's how the story goes. He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Wow. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the Ethiopian never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You want me to tell you the very end of that story? Historians tell us that the Ethiopian went back to Ethiopia and through his influence, he founded what is today known as the Coptic Church in the northern Africa. And there are literally countless people across northern Africa today who are Jesus followers because of his influence. How about that? That's pretty good for a guy who's never going to get married and never has a family, and he's buried away in the back of the palace. It was, friends, the ride of a lifetime. Because in that ride, somehow he got on board with Jesus. You see, when you tell someone about the good news of Jesus, 
buried in there somewhere is this thing of baptism. That was always the way Jesus intended it. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus said to his followers was what you see on the screen. He said, now listen, go into all the world and preach the what? Good news to everyone and anyone who believes and is what? Baptized will be saved. Well, that brings up a really good question. And the question is this, why would Jesus ask us to be dunked in water? There's no logical sense to that. And in fact, the only way to actually understand the answer to that question, we have to go all the way back to what I would call Theology 101 and Human Nature 101. So we're going to go all the way back to the very first page in the Bible, and we're going to take a look at the original purpose of human beings. So here's how our story as human beings begins. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. If I could pause right there, to be like us means to be the kind of creatures we can relate to because we can have a common experience in life. Some authors say in God's image he made us. And so he goes on to say, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So there's this image of God that's put down inside us, and it's in there for a reason, not so that you and I could run around and act like little mini-gods. That's not the idea. And I know there's a common thought out there that you need to get in touch with the God inside you. That was never the reason we were made in God's image. We were made in God's image so something inside us would connect directly with Him. Because we were made in His image. He is our Creator slash Father. Now this theme crops up in page after page after page as we go through the Bible. And I just selected one, and it was written by the brother of Jesus. And notice what the brother of Jesus says. James says this, the Scriptures say, God truly cares about the spirit he has put in us. Deeply cares. Because in order to make sense out of life, here's what you and I actually need to understand about our life. And that is, we, life was always intended to be a dance between our Creator God and Father and His children. And this morning, I don't know if you've ever played with this analogy, but I just want to say to you, if you could look at your own life and realize that you were created to dance with God through life. King David wrote about it years later when he said, the Lord is my shepherd or dance partner, really. And because of that, I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. David is saying dancing with God is awesome. But is it always easy? No. Because a couple of verses later he says, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because God is with me. Can I, can I just rephrase that a little bit? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because God is still dancing with me. Now back in the original story, everything is going well until one day the devil comes into this beautiful paradise where our original ancestors, Adam and Eve, were living, and the devil convinces them that dancing with God is not such a great idea. They need a different dance partner because God's holding out on them. And I suppose you could say that life changed when Adam and Eve decided to dance with the devil. And they did. And when they did, something inside them, all the way down to the core of their being, broke. I mean, not just kind of cracked. It broke. And it broke big time. And the world that they lived in broke. Not just a little bit. It broke big time. Can I just say that though all of us have done this, we've decided that we kind of know better. And you and I, as we grew up, at some point when we became aware of what was going on in our world, we became aware that we actually had been born into a world that was pretty messed up. And then, as we learned a little bit more, we realized not only were we a part of a world that's messed up, we're part of the mess. Yeah. You see, here's the deal. Adam and Eve had children. And they passed on to their children their broken nature. And they found it impossible to pass on to their children the beautiful nature they had been originally given because they broke it. When you were a little kid and you got a toy for Christmas and your parents, I mean, you were over the moon excited about the toy and your parents said, now this is how you play with the toy and above all else, don't do this with it. Some of you are remembering that, right? And what did you do with it? That. <laughs> and then you came back with a toy that didn't work anymore. And you had a two-word request. And what was it? Fix it. Yeah. 
I want you to see what happened when our original ancestors, Adam and Eve, chose to not dance with God and to dance with the devil. Here's how Paul describes it. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought what? Death. So death spread to everyone. That's some serious brokenness, isn't it? Yeah. So the world that you and I have been born in doesn't look anything like the world that Adam and Eve originally got because our world has now been broken for several thousand years and all the billions of people who have been born into it are also broken. Wonderful people still have the image of God in them, but they're broken. But that's not where the story ends and that's when the story turns out to be good news because after it says, death passed on to everyone, take a look at what it says next. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Now, let me just park there for a minute. Um, just last night, uh, I went through the process of rebooting the satellite uh, system that actually feeds our TV because you couldn't get it to do anything. So I shut it off, hit the reset button, and gave it 10 minutes to re-fire up. And you know what? It worked perfectly. Did you know there's coming a day when God is going to do a major reset on the whole world? Because the stuff that's broken and corrupted and no longer works, and it's bringing pain and destruction into our lives, there's going to come a point when God's going to say, okay, we've had enough pain. We've had enough sickness. We've had enough death. We've had enough suffering. We've had enough injustice. It's time to reset the world. Now listen carefully. In the resetting of the world, everything that hasn't been redeemed and saved and preserved by God gets wiped away. Because it will only corrupt the new world. That's why Jesus came. And that's why the opportunity to be redeemed and reclaimed and saved is made available to every single person because as the Bible clearly says, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but He wants everyone to be saved. This is Theology 101, is it not? We're all the way down to the core issues of life. So this passage goes on to say this, so now, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Listen, you know what Jesus did? He took all of us broken people <coughs> who were no longer dancing with God and Jesus cleans us up, forgives us of our sins and invites us back into the dance with God. That is 
the story of human history. Now think about this. This brings up a decision-making process that you and I go through many times. And here it is. Take a look. We start out with some bad news. Okay? I went to the doctor the other day, and the doctor said to me, Mr. Hunt, I have some not-so-good news for you. You have the beginning of some blood sugar issues. Hmm, That wasn't a total surprise to me because that actually runs in my family as they get older. That's the bad news. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to lose your eyesight. You might lose some appendages. Your kidneys will malfunction, and you'll probably end up on dialysis, and somewhere in there, it'll be fatal. To which I plunked down my money and said, thanks, Doc. That's just what I wanted to hear. No, that's bad news. But then the doctor said this. But Mr. Hunt, I have some good news for you. We've discovered this very early. And there are things that you can do that will greatly limit the effect of this on your life. Are you interested in those? Key question. What do you think my answer was? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yes. Because we go from bad news to good news, and then we have a decision. Okay? And the, the decision starts with this. Do I actually believe this or do I not? There have been many people who have gone to the doctor and the doctor gave them that news, and they said to the doctor, I think you're full of it. I don't believe this for a second. I could have done that. Because anytime we have bad news and there's a counterpart of good news, we have a decision to make. Suppose you and I are in a theater and someone says the theater is on fire. Good news or bad news? Bad news, right? And someone else says, this is the way out. The fire's over there. This is the way out. You and I have a decision to make. Do we believe the bad news? And do we believe the good news that someone is giving? If we believe both, then we have an opportunity to respond. And hopefully we will respond by going out the door and saving our lives. Yeah. Well, the story of Jesus is pretty much the same. Here's the bad news that we all get. Even though we were made to dance with our Creator Father, we've all chosen other dance partners, and that means we're broken. Some of us have danced with the chase after wealth and money. Some of us have danced with the chase after power and fame. Some of us maybe have have chosen to dance and chase after beauty or intelligence or athletics or popularity. I mean, the list is endless of the things that we can chase after that we think will actually fulfill that that part of our life that actually is the purpose part of our life. So we've all chased things. Here's the good news. The good news is this. 
But Jesus came to bring us back to God, to invite us back to the dance floor and to heal our brokenness. That's why we often give all of us the invitation to make the choice to follow Jesus and even to remake that choice if we've wandered away from it. So there's the bad news and the good news. Now, what about the decision? The decision is this. Do I believe both the bad news and the good news? If I think the message of Scripture is baloney and I don't believe it, then I'm going to go on and keep chasing the things that I've been chasing and hoping that something good happens. I remember a good friend of mine years ago who had gone through this whole thing and he had become greatly successful in the business world. And he said to me, Ron, he said, you know, I spent all of my life climbing the corporate ladder. And when I finally got to the top of the corporate ladder, I made a horrific discovery. It was leaning up against the wrong wall. He didn't give me anything that I thought it would. Now, fortunately, he was a guy who had come to Jesus and found the right wall and the right dance partner. Okay? But do I believe? If I believe the good news and I exit the building, I don't burn. If I freeze in my tracks and think, I don't, I'm not sure what to believe. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to ride this thing out. How's it going to go for me? Am I not good? Not good at all. So then, as we move on, I, I have a decision to make. I believe it. So now I have a response. And here's the thing. God never forces us to dance with Him. If you're dancing with God today, it's because you have chosen to go through this life with Him and to dance with Him. And if God feels distant and you're not actually dancing with Him, it's because for whatever reason, you haven't found it within yourself to fully trust Him and to walk up and put yourself in His frame and say, you lead, I follow. Let's dance. The dance of life is definitely our choice. We call out to Him and we cry with a cry of both surrender and faith. This is why in Scripture you often see this phrase that says, and save yourselves calling on the name of the Lord. It's that calling out to God where we surrender our lives to Him and say, God, take me just as I am. I know I'm a mess. I know I've been dancing with other partners. I know I'm messed up. But I'm here. And this is me. Will you take me? Please, God, take me. What do you think His answer is? It's yes, 100% of the time. Because He is for you. Always. So now we have the bad news, we have the good news, we have the decision, and we have the response. You know what? God gave us a bonus. And that's what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. And here's the bonus. The bonus is a symbol. 
God gave us this symbol of baptism because it's a personal symbol to mark and remind me of the decision I made when I called out on the name of the Lord to believe and respond to the good news of Jesus. Here's the amazing thing about a symbol. I wear one on my hand all the time. It's a wedding ring. It doesn't look anything like a wedding. It's just a symbol. And that's the great thing about it. You know, on the surface, it makes no sense to wear a wedding ring. Hey, you two promised each other your lives. I'll tell you what, why don't you take some gold or silver or something and wrap it around your finger and don't ever take that off. Now, we're so used to it, it makes sense to us. But on the surface, it makes no sense. Jesus says to us, look, you're a human being. And human beings need symbols. It's why we have flags. It's why we have war memorials. It's why we have monuments. It's why we have tombstones. As human beings, we need symbols. And Jesus said, I want to give you a symbol that will mark and forever remind you of the day that you chose to dance with me like you were intended. So I want you to go out and dunk each other in water. And that's your symbol. Paul writes about it like this. Take a look. He said, When we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with Him in His death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we are also raised to live a new life. Now take a look at the phrases up there that are in yellow. Baptism is an experience not out of obedience to Jesus, although it is that. It's not an experience that's a religious, a religious ritual, although there's some of that in it. But real baptism is way more. It is an experience with Jesus. Not like Jesus. Not for Jesus. Not because of Jesus. It's an experience, what? With Jesus. Paul goes on to say this. He says, since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to dance with the wrong partner. Why? For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also what? Live with Him. So important that you and I understand these things. Take a look at these three truths on the screen. Salvation takes place in heaven. Okay? I'm not going to get into all the theology of salvation and atonement in heaven and all that. Let me just say this. 
Can you make God forgive you? Do you have that kind of power over Him? No. You can't make God do anything. Okay? You can accept His forgiveness. But when that forgiveness is given, it's actually given in heaven and extended to earth. There's a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the people who choose to follow Jesus have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a record of all the people who have been saved. Can you write your name in that book? No, you can't. Because salvation takes place in heaven. Only God can write your name in that book. So salvation is a heaven thing. The symbol takes place on earth. Right? That's why we're baptized here. Because this is the symbol of our salvation, of something that's taking place in heaven. And this symbol that we have been given is a wonderful symbol that reminds us that we had a way of life that was taking us away from Jesus. And we have decided to die to that life. We're done with it. And we bury it with Christ, just like He died and was buried. And then we have a whole new life waiting for us in Jesus and with Jesus, and we are raised up out of the waters of baptism to experience that new life. And so baptism is the symbolic death, burial, and resurrection. And somehow, according to Scripture, Jesus joins us in that moment. Can I tell you that that's an experience that Jesus wants every one of His followers to have? So it's not just dunking someone in water. It's actually joining Jesus and going through a symbolic death and burial and being raised with Jesus as a precursor to the day when the Lord of heaven and earth stands in front of your grave and in front of mine, calls us by name and says, come forth. And we are resurrected to live with Him forever. So let's close with this. What's at the heart of life? I mean, we've broken life all the way down to its really, really core issue. What's at the heart of life? I don't want you to ever forget this. Take a look at the next screen. The two center letters in the word life are what? If. The greatest thing that you could do is take the if out of life. And the way you take the if out of life is you decide to dance with your Creator Father because then you know what your purpose in life is. You know you have been forgiven. You know that God will walk with you all the days of your life. You know that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God will still be dancing with you. And when you wake up on the other side of death, God will still be dancing with you 
because when you get on board with Jesus, it takes the if out of life. It's all done. So I want to close with an invitation. Okay? There's actually three. Number one, you could choose to follow Jesus. I would tell you, that's the ride of a lifetime. That's how you begin it. And you will never be the same again. If you've never made that choice, there is no better day, no better time than right here, right now to say, you know what? I'm taking the if out of my life. I don't know all that's going to happen to me. I can't know that. But you know what I can know? I can know who's going to be dancing with me through it and will even carry me because there are dances that involve a lift, right? And when I need lifted, God will lift me through it. The second invitation is to get baptized next Sunday. Listen, just a tiny word to those of you who haven't been baptized. Man, next Sunday we're doing this. I'm going to be down here at the end. You just come and tell me, hey, I want to get baptized next Sunday and we'll get you some resources and get you working on some stuff. There's a there's one of these sheets and a seat back near you. Take it with you. It's good basic understanding of baptism. You can make that choice. I want to speak for just a minute to those of you who were baptized as babies. You don't remember it, but the church that you went to had a theology that told your parents you had to be baptized. I don't want to get into that theology. It's, it's not bad theology, but I do want to say this. It was the intent of Jesus that every one of you would have the experience of knowing what it was like to be joined with him through baptism as someone who's old enough to grasp that. So if you choose to get baptized as an adult, does that negate what your parents didn't know? If Monica and I choose to renew our vows, should I throw my wedding ring away? Probably not. No. A renewing of my vows is simply an experience I want now that we've been married 50 years. Okay? So if you haven't been baptized as an adult, I would love to ask you to consider, hey, I want that experience with Jesus to mark this decision in my life. Even if I can't remember the day I made it, I want to mark the decision with the symbol that he gave. And then last of all, to come and celebrate with everybody who's getting baptized next week. Did you know that scriptures say that there's more celebration in heaven over one of us who returns to Jesus than over 99 of us who are already here and think we're pretty great. Yeah, it's a big deal. I'm going to pray, and then we have a very special closing to the service. God, boy, I pray for everybody here. I'm so, so, so grateful that you gave us a symbol because we're humans and we need them. Thank you for this wonderful symbol that marks this decision in our life and helps us picture what it's like to die to a way of living so that we can be resurrected and washed and cleaned and have a reset button and forgiven and to be invited back to the dance floor with you and to live in this whole new kind of life that we find in Jesus. God, I pray for those in our audience whether here in the auditorium or 
uh, wherever you're viewing online who haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus, would you help us to call out to you with a simple prayer that says, God, I'm here and I believe what you have to say and I know I'm messed up, but I know you can fix me. And so I give myself to you today. I call on your name in repentance and surrender. Father, we're your kids. We love you. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for promising us this wonderful life if we'll choose it. And we choose it today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.